Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson. And I'm Blair Cook. And today we're talking to Bryson Tan, an associate partner of cybersecurity at EY. Bryson works with his clients to prevent, detect, and recover from various cybersecurity attacks. He works with the Red Team at EY, which is the highly specialized group that uses sophisticated technologies such as the full attack kill chain, just like real hackers, to simulate the attack to see how secure their client systems really are. He deals with everything from threats perpetrated by organized crime and threats against nation states to script kitties, unsophisticated hackers who may or may not live in their parents' basements. Bryson has yet to find a company that he can't hack into. Bryson has his MSc in Computer Science from Eastern Michigan University and has spent the last 14 years working with professional service firms in threat and vulnerability management. Today, I'm talking to Bryson about cybersecurity attacks, what they are, how do they happen, and what companies can do to protect themselves from attacks. Let's get started. Welcome back. It's Jen Nicholson with the CPA Success Podcast, and I'm very excited to be here today with Bryson Tan, who is an associate partner, cybersecurity with Ernst & Young. Welcome, Bryson. Thank you. How are you? I'm great, thanks. And how are you doing today? Not too bad. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. So let's start by uh, talking a little bit about your background and how you've become uh, an expert in cybersecurity. Yeah, so you know, I predominantly spent most of my career on the attack side, uh, so running a lot of the uh, attack and penetration teams, uh, doing red team assessments, so really kind of combining the, the human, the physical, and the technical elements to be able to identify exposures within uh, client organizations, be able to steal that information and then exfiltrate that data uh, out of the environment without being seen. Wow, the attack team. That sounds like a, an exciting name for a group. It is. It's definitely not boring. Uh, and on the other side, you know, when I'm not doing that, uh, I've done a lot of cyber incident response. So responding to threats when organizations need, need assistance, they've been breached. Uh, so be able to help uh, dig some of those threat actors out of their environments. So there's a lot of uh, terminology that, that you've mentioned just in that brief little introduction. So we'll get into some of that uh, as we go through. What really is a cyber security attack and what types are there? Yeah, so predominantly what we're seeing these days when organizations get breached, um, there's a couple of different things. One's through email phishing campaigns. So an attacker will send out an email, uh, they'll have something in there that'll make you want to click on it, and from there uh, it'll execute some type of malware on your endpoint. And so from there they get access into your environment and they can start moving around looking for data uh, or causing destruction. That, so that sounds really common these days. Uh, it is. Um, you know, predominantly um, not only email, um, but then also uh, security configurations, uh, patch management. So a lot of the threats that we've seen, like WannaCry, will actually take advantage of unpatched uh, uh, systems. Why do people do that? Why do they want to get into your data? Uh, so a couple different reasons. You know, sometimes it's for a competitive advantage. You know, when you start looking at nation states, they want to get access to the intellectual property. Um, you know, whether it's organized crime, it could be for, for money, right? So a lot of times we'll see the, a lot of the ransomware that's out there, uh, WannaCry, Locky, you know, they'll lock up your systems and then they'll demand payment. And so then you make that payment and so that just perpetuates uh, the issue. Right. And what happens if you don't make the payment? 
it could be that you don't get access to your information. You have to try and rebuild some of these systems. If you have great backups, uh, then you can try and restore that information. So you might lose something. Um, but there's also uh, clients, customers that actually report that even though they make the payment, they actually don't get the decryption keys. Right. That would be with the risk, I would think. Absolutely. So it's a really tough and very tricky situation to, to figure out, okay, do you make the payment or not? I typically tell clients not to make the payment. You really need to kind of focus on the fundamentals. So making sure that you have the right backups in place so that you can restore your environment. So that is, you would be brought in a lot of times when someone has received an email like that. Is That's that, right. Right. So I'll walk into environments, you know, they've been compromised. You have, you know, the ransomware on, you know, dozens or hundreds of systems. And then you have to try to figure out, you know, how do you help the organization get their information back, get access to it, or try to rebuild. Wow, that sounds really complicated. Uh, it is. There's a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, especially when you're, you may be actually interacting with the threat actor you know, who's demanding payment or locking up new systems. The threat actor. So that would be the, the criminal, essentially, who's perpetrating the crime. Exactly. So there's different, a few different types of threat actors. So you have the unsophisticated hackers, so you know, script kitties, people that just use the... Um, script kitties. That's now, right. What is that? <laughs> it's really people that are a low level of sophistication. They really just take, get access to the different types of attack tools that are out there. Uh, they launch them. They don't really have a good understanding of, of the technology um, or the protocols that are um, uh, underpin these systems. Um, then you have the sophisticated attackers, you know, the ones that really understand what they're doing. They can create attack tools, and so they can go through in your environment, and as they start getting into roadblocks or different security controls, um, they can bypass them. They have the time and, and the, the willingness to go and, and, and be successful. How do people learn these hacking skills? Um, a lot of times it's self-taught, exploration, the curiosity to try and understand, you know, how do some of these... Uh, protocols on the internet work uh, and so they understand how it works and then how what the limitations are and and how to break them and so they'll get into organizations or they'll hack people's systems just for curiosity for the fame so a couple of different reasons the fame do do they really get fame because no one actually finds out who they are sometimes they do um, but I mean a lot of times it's you know they see the work uh, that they've done is on the front page of every newspaper across the globe Wow, um, and so, like, 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 at lots of other types of criminals. Absolutely. So we've got phishing campaigns. What other types of cybersecurity breaches occur? Yeah, so um, weak patch management. So there will be lots of exploits. They'll take advantage of unpatched systems. Um, so that'll be one. And, and what does that mean, an unpatched system? So a lot of times, organizations, uh, um, a lot of the different vendors that we use, um, they will create software that you use in every parts of your organization. Um, and as new weaknesses come out, they'll provide patches. And so in theory, most organizations should be patching on a very regular basis. Uh, if they don't, then that leaves those holes open for an attacker to try and get in. So they'll create malware or exploit code to go in and take advantage or exploit those vulnerabilities. And so once they get in, then again, they're able to, to get into the environment and start to spread. Uh, get access to your data. Now, are off-the-shelf types of systems more secure than customized systems, or are there different types of vulnerabilities in those? Uh, so there's there's different types, but for the most part, you know, when code gets written, when it gets created, you know, there's always going to be uh, people are always going to find holes in it. And so whether it's the, like the typical ones that you see, whether it's a, a custom one, a lot of times you'll find those holes that, that come up over time. 
Um, and so, you know, most of the vendors will put out patches on a regular basis to be able to close some of those holes. And how do they know about the holes? A lot of it's just research. You know, they'll look into the different types of technologies, the different solutions that are out there. They research it. Uh, they try different things uh, until they find those issues. So does this mean that really almost any organization requires an, an IT guru who can be monitoring their systems at all times? Well, it's tough. Uh, you know, a lot of times IT is overburdened with just all the different tasks they have. So <clears throat> a lot of times organizations will bring in security experts, they'll bring in people to be able to monitor systems. Uh, but again, there's a lot of burden, uh, a lot of overhead, you know, when you're trying to monitor all the different types of incidents that are they're happening. A lot of times there can be um, tens of thousands of incidents per day that security operations centers are trying to, to cover. Tens of thousands of incidents in one organization in one day. That's right. So whether wow. it's some type of an alert uh, that goes off and they have to go and investigate it. So it could be a false positive and they have to chase that down um, and, and close tickets. Uh, or it could be a real credible threat that they have to look into. That's incredible. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and uh, is this a growing problem? Uh, it is a growing problem. You know, with a lot of the tools that are out there, they create a lot of data, especially for some of the, the monitoring systems a lot of data kind of gets put into these security operations centers. So we have to find ways to be able to enable the analysts to be able to get through all of that data, to be able to find out what is the real issue and start focusing on the high priority incidents. Wow, that's incredible. And how often does this happen? How often are companies breached? I guess if there's tens of thousands of incidents a day, it sounds like most companies are going to have security breaches. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the, the front page of the, the newspapers, you see organizations that get breached all the time, you know, high profile yeah. names all the time, data breaches. Recently, there's ones with the banks that happened as well. Yeah, absolutely. The last couple of days, we've heard about two of Canada's big five banks, about 100,000 customers' data has been breached. That's right. What does that really mean when they say that, that the, the, the data has been breached? So it really depends on the issue. It could be, um, you know, the banking information, the personal information um, has been taken. Um, so it depends on the different type of situation. Um, and so a lot of times we'll tell clients to start changing passwords, don't reuse a lot of the passwords, don't use simple passwords. There's lots of resources out there where you can actually check to see if the password that you're creating is actually part of a, a larger breach. And so you can actually choose a better and stronger password. Wow. So is it when your data is breached, it, it means that they've broken your password, essentially? Or how have they accessed your information? So it could be that. It could be that they've, they've uh, looked at weak passwords and they've gone in. It could be they've gone into databases. And once they've gone into environment uh, and they get access to the database, if the database isn't encrypted, they then pull all the information out of that database. Wow. And this is obviously has, has wide-reaching impacts for an organization. What are some of the consequences of a cybersecurity attack? Absolutely. So with the new uh, GDPR um, legislation that's happening, um, you know, monetary impact. Um, um, what is GDPR? I've seen a lot of, of that terminology, but what does that really mean? So it's one of the new privacy legislations that's happened. That's coming to play uh, recently this month. Um, it's really around how organizations retain control uh, data uh, on a person. And so people are actually able to, to go and um, uh, determine if the organization is able to forget them, basically. So, so what I've seen is a lot of websites have put out emails saying that they've updated their privacy terms and that's, that's right. because of GDPR? Absolutely. 
And if it's only related to EU companies, or how does that work? Well, it relate to Canadian companies because they may have European clients. Okay. Right? Or they may have European operations. So again, they have to make sure that they're, they're, um, they're responsible uh, with uh, people's private information. So when we talk about the, the consequences of a cybersecurity attack, so financial loss certainly is an issue. So for customers, what kind of financial loss can happen to a company? So a couple of different ways. It could be for financial fraud. When they pay ransomware, mm-hmm. um, they'll, they'll lose uh, money that way. It could also be you know, when they're trying to clean up some of these issues. It could be very costly to clean up a breach, right? So cleaning up IT systems, bringing in specialists to be able to help them clean up the breach. Uh, right, like and, you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and that can kind of rack up, um, you know, depending on how big the organization is or how extensive the breach is. Absolutely. I guess there's also the uh, reputational risk that comes along with a data breach. Absolutely. So when you're in the front page of the newspapers, there's you know quite a big spotlight in terms of you know what's happened, what you're doing to be able to clean it up. Uh, so there could be shareholder uh, confidence loss, it could be consumer loss, uh, and which will, at the end of the day will hit uh, stock prices. And have you seen that happen, or is it is it so common now that people almost just you know, you see, you see the hit one day and then the next day it's forgotten because someone else has had a data breach. Absolutely. So I think traditionally we've seen, you know, you know, big hits to stocks. But I think as more and more breaches happen, it becomes a lot more commonplace. You'll see a dip in the, in the stock price, but then it'll, it'll eventually go back up. And how can companies prevent a cyber attack? How do you stop this from happening? I guess companies, first of all, and then individuals. Uh, so there's a couple different ways. First off is kind of focusing on the, the fundamental security controls. So things like patch management, configuration management, you want to be able to ensure that you're up to date on, on the most and the latest patch uh, revisions, uh, that you're using secure configurations on, on your systems, uh, closing any, any of the, um, the insecure uh, ports, protocols uh, that you might be using. So if you're not using a service, you probably shouldn't have it open. Um, Another way is be able to control identity. So how, uh, how do you control privileged access, uh, identity access management? Uh, a lot of times when attackers get into an environment, they'll look to escalate their privileges uh, or look for administrative level access. So you need to be able to control that in, in, a, in a way so that um, uh, only you have access to it or you get alerted when something bad happens. Wow, and how do they get that kind of level of access? A lot of times it's going to be configuration related. Administrative access will be uh, left open on systems. You'll have shared accounts. And so, again, uh, attackers will start guessing well-known passwords. Password one, two, three. You know, Does, do people actually Absolutely. use that? We see that all the time. Really? Yeah. And so when you use things like that or you have no password associated with administrative accounts, it's very easy for attackers to be able to get in. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think security has become such... Uh, a common issue now, but there are companies that don't have passwords still. Uh, either that or very weak passwords is what we'll find. And so a lot of times we'll tell organizations to be able to use complex passwords. Um, you know, and it's the, the common um, you, uh, letters, numbers, uh, different special characters uh, in, in a combination to be able to make it a little more complex. Right. Now, even when you've come up with these strong passwords, you, can you still be breached? Absolutely. Uh, it's not necessarily just about passwords. Um, you know, whether it's a patch, it's a misconfiguration uh, on a system. It could be uh, an email that you've gotten. If you've been phished and you've clicked on that link, um, there's lots of different ways for attackers to be able to get into an organization. 
Wow, do you have any good examples of uh, some, some big breaches with significant losses that have occurred? Yeah, we've seen lots of different breaches happen. Can't talk about any specific client names, obviously. <laughs> of course not. Uh, but, you know, any sort of situations that are more generic? Yeah, uh, I mean, we look at the newspapers, um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of different data breaches, you know, 143 customer records uh, that have been breached that ended up uh, really coming down to patch management issue. You see combinations of security awareness issues, secure coding practices, you know, where 3 billion people's emails have been compromised. 3 billion? That's right. Wow. And how do people protect themselves against the phishing emails? We certainly um, heard about how certain people, especially I think Canadians, are quite trusting and perhaps it doesn't even occur to them that it could not be a legitimate email. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to realize a lot of times banks aren't going to send you emails asking for your usernames, your passwords. Uh, a lot of the online retailers, they'll never really do that. Um, they'll send you a link to click on, uh, potentially to, to reset your password, but a lot of times it's really just notification that you need to go log into your account and they won't send you a link to, to click on. They're not gonna ask you to open up a PDF file. And those are all real indications that it's a phishing attack. Right, and what about the emails? Oh, we've certainly heard about situations where hackers have gotten into a system and have learned the people's names, they've learned writing styles, how people communicate, and then will send emails saying, you know, from the president saying, I'd like you to transfer a certain amount of money, and the recipient doesn't even think that there's an issue there and just does it. How do you protect yourself from that kind of a situation? So in that case, you really need to start looking at security awareness training. So uh, showing people what the fake emails look like, um, having um, processes in place so that it's not just an email to be able to do a wire transfer. Right, so someone has to follow up with a phone call or something like that. Exactly. Um, or it could be um, some type of automated IT process uh, that goes into place. So it's, it kind of removes some of the human element from that. Right, that makes sense. And does it matter the size of your company? Uh, is it, is it really this more of an issue for bigger companies or is it an issue for any company? Uh, it can be anybody at all. Um, <clears throat> you know, in this day and age, you know, with so many high profile attacks, so whether it be WannaCry, uh, NotPetya, uh, the Murray botnets, uh, you know, everyone can be a victim. Uh, and so we have to operate in this environment that, you know, either we're going to be breached um, or we've already been breached and we don't know it. Wow. So how could you be breached and not know it? So if you don't have the right security controls in place, like security monitoring, that's going to be really hard to tell that an advanced attacker's gone into your environment. So if you've clicked on that email, uh, you don't have any alerts that are going off and nobody's really watching it, then they'll be able to operate pretty quietly within your environment. They'll start using the same administrative tools that your admins use. And so they're not introducing a lot of different attack tools or malware into your environment that could be triggered by antivirus. So they'll be able to get in, they'll look for data on your shared drives, uh, on your network drives, get access to it, and then send it out if you don't control it through web proxies. So what are web proxies? Web proxies are uh, it's just appliances, technology that proxies the connection between you and the outside world. So it looks to see if you know, the, the connections that you're making are legitimate. Are you supposed to be browsing to these different sites? And if you're not, then it'll block it. Okay, so that seems like a good thing to have in place. Yes, definitely one of the, you know, some of the fundamental security controls that, it, to have in place. 
does antivirus protection work? I mean, is that is that enough? And how is it sophisticated enough to catch every breach? And so it can. Uh, realistically, you know, these are a lot of them are signature based type uh, antivirus. So it's looking for a very specific type of signature. And a lot of times the attackers will um, use those tools and once they get caught by antivirus, then they'll re-encode it, they'll encrypt it so that it matches a different signature. So that's how it'll, it'll get through. Um, wow. So some of the traditional ones, you know, if it's been out there for three, six, nine months, that'll be signatures for that specific instance. Um, and so it's good to be able to catch uh, the ones that have been out there for a long time or that's more of a commodity type of malware. Uh, but for the newer ones, it won't catch it. Wow. So virus protection has to be updated pretty much constantly. It does. And we see a lot of organizations um, with configuration problems with their antivirus. So, you know, a lot of times the scanning engine will be up to date, but the actual signatures haven't been up to date for uh, more than a year. And so it's really hard to try and catch something because of that. Wow. It sounds pretty scary. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sometimes it can be, you know, especially when you're in the middle of an incident or a breach and everyone's kind of pulling their hair out. But that's why you really need to be able to be prepared, right? Really trying to ensure that you have all the fundamentals in place. You start looking at some of the different advanced technologies that are out there to be able to protect yourself. And also running things like incident simulations with people so that they're, they're able to make the right decisions during some of those crisis moments. Okay, so almost like a fire drill Absolutely. for a cybersecurity attack. So what are some of the solutions in the marketplace and what can they do for you? you? You mentioned some of the more sophisticated tools out there. What are those types of tools? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple different ones that are out there. The first one would be something called moving target defense. So if you take a look at how the attackers operate, we try to take some of those strategies that they use and apply to our defensive tactics. So there's appliances that will shift the IP addresses of hosts and systems on the network so that whenever an attacker gets in, they may try to identify a system like a printer or a PC, but when they go to actually compromise it, its IP is actually changed. And so they're constantly trying to figure out, you know, what are these different systems? Where are they located? Uh, some of these technologies can actually change what it looks like. So at one moment, you know, when an attacker scans and identifies it as a Windows system, the next moment it could look like a Linux system or it could like a, look like a network appliance. And so it's constantly changing and, and that way it makes it a lot harder for them to try and attack and, and get into the environment. So with these moving defense systems, are they changing constantly or only when they sense a threat? Uh, they're constantly changing. So it's more of a zero trust approach. So even the, the different hosts on the, in the environment, the different endpoints won't be able to really talk to each other, which is what you want. Because a lot of times, you know, your system shouldn't be talking to a different, uh, your, your coworkers or your different employees' laptop. You should really be able to get access to the resources that you need, uh, which would be on something like a shared drive or a network drive. And how do you protect a shared drive or a network drive? Because would that not be a threat as well, that everybody would be accessing the same point, which could be compromised? It is, uh, and that's where you look for different technologies like security monitoring you need to be able to have in place. And so when you start seeing anomalous behavior, anomalous activities or traffic, then you start getting alerts on that. But again, you know, a lot of times the, the analysts that are on the receiving end of these alerts really get overwhelmed. So that's where you need to start looking at some, uh, some more of the autonomous um, security operations center. So it takes a lot of the different, the, the mundane, the, the activities that are typical and you're able to automate it through AI, through analytics, to be able to get through those things faster so that the analysts are really focusing on like the, the, the high risk alerts.
Right. So a lot of these types of technologies now are not requiring human interaction. They're things that can just be run in the background. That's right. And so you need to start looking at what are the different types of events that take up uh, the analyst time, and then you need to see if that's something that you're able to automate. Are you able to take those events, get it through an automation engine, add the correlation, the, the different business context, the security context, and then have it start making its own decisions. Now, it doesn't mean that humans will, will be replaceable. It just means that they're going to focus on more of the, the high-value events and where they need to be able to make decisions on something that's a little bit more fuzzy that a machine wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Right. I guess that's, that's the issue. Here we are at a tech conference, and that's what uh, kind of the common theme is, is that humans aren't going away, but a lot of the more mundane regular tasks are going to be taken over by computers. Absolutely. A lot of the repetitive stuff and something that you can apply a, a very specific response to, right? So if something that you can take very specific steps and, and it's repeatable, it's something that you're going to be able to automate. So what are some of the other solutions in the marketplace other than moving defense systems? So another one that you know, organizations are starting to look at is uh, automated threat hunting. So you want to be more on the proactive side. So once you kind of get past the a lot of these alerts that are coming into the operations center, you really want us to be a little more proactive to start filling in the holes uh, between the monitoring. So actually actively looking for threats on the different endpoints, on your different servers, taking a look at the different high-risk alerts and actually start to focus on, are these threats in your environment? You can also take a look at threat intelligence, which is data out there that shows the different types of attacks that are happening currently and see if that starts to match traffic that's in your environment. And again, a lot of times, you know, you know, threats will stay resident within the memory on a system, so uh, a lot of fileless attacks. So you're not going to be able to look through a hard drive and actually see evidence that there's something that's been dropped. You know, they're subverting processes on, on, on a computer. So, and a lot of times it'll take a couple hours for an analyst to start looking through memory to see if there's indicators of compromise. If we can automate that and start spreading that across the network, then it's, it's a lot easier to be able to find the attackers faster. Absolutely. And so there are products out there that provide this type of automation that you just apply to your system. That's right. There's a lot of, a lot of new startups, a lot of organizations out there that have started to focus more on the automation component. Excellent. And is there anything else that people can do to, to really protect themselves? There's another one that, that's out there that's more deception-based. So these technologies will drop in different lures or different decoys, uh, whether it be data or systems that attackers will try to gravitate towards. And so once they actually get access to that system or they get access to the uh, credential or the data, then you know automatically that is very much a credible alert. And you can alert on that and then jump into it very quickly. And so that's one way to be able to kind of reduce the amount of time it takes to be able to identify attackers in the environment is with some of this, these decoy systems, decoy data. Wow, it sounds very scary and somewhat complicated. And as you mentioned at the beginning, you spend a lot of your time actually behaving like an attacker. That's right. So we'll definitely simulate what attackers do, uh, the different tactics, the different procedures or the, or the tools that they use. And what we do is we help the organization especially on the response side, to identify the different things that are happening. And if they don't necessarily catch every single last one, then we'll show them which ones that we did when we did it, and so that they can change what they're doing and how they will respond to an attack. And do you deal mostly with large multinational type of companies or even just a, a small organization with less than 100 employees? Absolutely. And it's across the board. Everything Everybody. From, from private client services to large uh, organizations that are global. 
because uh, they deal with a lot of the similar challenges. Yeah, wow. Now, what about the cloud? We hear so much about the cloud, and some people are still really worried that it's not that secure, but we, so much of our life is now in the cloud, and can we really trust it? That's right. And you know, we're seeing a lot of the organizations that are moving towards the serverless technologies. Now, what that means is it's really up to the vendors, the cloud vendors, that need to be able to secure their systems. And so, uh, you know, the onus now becomes on them. So we're, what we're doing is really just passing the risk onto these vendors as opposed to us. And sometimes it's better because we don't have the resources to be able to actually keep all of our systems up to date or configured properly uh, where they're able to do a better job. So arguably, depending on the situation, you know, cloud can be uh, a lot more secure. Wow, and that's a, that's a different perspective where people were thinking that maybe the cloud is, is less secure, actually. But. That's right. And what are some tips for our listeners if they're looking for a cloud vendor? What are some ways that they can determine who has the best security? And that's where you really need to start doing some of your due diligence uh, on these vendors that you're going to be working with. So understanding from a contractual perspective, you know, what they're on the hook for. So, you know, is it, are they going to be patching your systems every day, every week, uh, every month? Do your security practices and protocols and, and standards, do they match up and align to how they operate? And so there's just a couple things that you need to look into before you actually sign up with uh, some of these vendors. Right, and most of them probably have um, some pretty standard security in place, too. That's right. Yep, they definitely have certain levels of security. Some of them use some of the good frameworks that are out there as well um, to be able to build out the security configurations and making sure that they have all their systems patched. Great. So I think um, as we wrap up, really the message is that we have to be on our toes all the time because these risks are happening around us every day and we really need to be prepared that's right and vigilant that's right it's about building um, up the fundamentals of security using some of the advanced defenses that are out there to be able to create a more resilient cyber organization wow well thank you so much for sharing this uh, somewhat scary but very important information with us today Bryson yeah, thanks a lot appreciate it